The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Matters. I'm your host, Brendan O'Connell. Well, we have a very special guest today. She's uh, zooming in all the way from Virginia, and uh, her name is Carol Tobias. She's the president of the National Right to Life Committee. Well, welcome, Carol. Thank you, Brendan. I'm happy to be on with you. Carol, uh, we've had some uh, postmortems after the uh, recent election on November 7th of uh, various states and uh, legislatures and that sort of thing. Um, I'd like to talk about that. Uh, I guess the big one would be the Ohio, the Ohio situation. Could you tell us about that? And well, unfortunately, Ohio voters decided to amend their constitution to allow for unlimited abortion. Now, we were outspent, and uh, the lies from the other side were pretty heavy and um, magnified by the the local press. And, and may I ask, what, what, what kind of lies did they tell? With, uh, in, I know I, I see a figure, 40 mil, that the pro-aborts had 40, spent 40 million and our side spent 27 million. What kind of lies were they telling? What kind of what? Lies were they uh, oh, oh, es- espousing okay. or misrepresentations? Well, pro-lifers were trying to tell parents that if this passes, your minor daughter, whether she's 13, 14, 15, can get an abortion and you won't have the right to even be told that it's happening. Um, And of course there is a concern because we do hear stories about young girls being forced into abortions um, by someone who is taking advantage of them, uh, an older man. Um, But if that's happening, the parents don't have the right to know. And of course, the other side would come back and say, that's a lie. This isn't going to affect the parental involvement laws. And that was, you know, getting amplified in the media. Uh, Pro-lifers were trying to say, this is going to allow second and third trimester abortions. And the the other side coming back, of course, with their millions of dollars were saying, that's a lie. The the, uh, language says that um, abortions would be allowed through uh, viability. But the law had a, an exception for health, which would override viability. And as all pro-lifers know, the Supreme Court in 1973, Dovey Bolton, defined health to include anything, including what could be the size of the woman's family, her financial situation, her mental and emotional health. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the law, in effect, as we had under Roe v. Wade and Dovey Bolton, would allow abortion for any reason throughout pregnancy. But again, voters were told that was a lie and the press, you know, was pretty happy to to repeat that. 
they were told that their ban on partial birth abortions would be overturned. Again, everyone was told that's a lie. Um, but they had the, the millions of dollars to put that information out there. And it was just very hard for pro-lifers to actually counter that and try to, to get a foothold into what the magnitude of you know, the effect of this law will be in the state. Now, I've heard people uh, uh, complain that, um, well, we had a, a referendum on, on in August or a vote in Ohio in August that said that we want to put the threshold instead of 50% plus one vote, we want to move it up to 60% to change the Ohio Constitution. Do you feel that having a vote in August and then one in November were too close or uh, somehow was detrimental to the pro-life side? I've heard that, but I don't know if it was. You know, it, it gave the um, proponents of this constitutional measure an effort to say, look, they don't want you to vote, that they're trying to keep you from voting. So that maybe did have some impact. Um, but quite frankly, I think it's a good idea to make it tougher to amend the constitutions. You know, our founding fathers said that for the federal constitution, you have to have two thirds of the U.S. House, two thirds of the U.S. Senate, and three fourths of the states all in agreement that they said the constitution is something that is supposed to be much more permanent and that it shouldn't kind of ebb and flow with current conditions in the country that it has to be something that a, an overwhelming majority of people agree, this is important enough that we need to change this very special document. Mm -hmm. What we are seeing in so many states is that it only takes 50% plus one to change the constitution. So who knows, you know, in a few years, some of these states that have had these ballot measures may feel like they've got an upper hand and maybe things have changed and they're going to come back and just change their constitution. So it basically becomes meaningless. Um, you know, it's kind of like a piece of legislation passed by the legislature. It can be changed at any time if you've got the votes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, um, uh, Michigan uh, last year, the prior year, there was a, a, a vote on their, I think, was it their constitution? And, um, our side lost, we only got 43% of the vote, and, and in Ohio, we only got 43% of the vote. Those were both no votes. And I know that uh, I've attended the 115 forum and that and people from Ohio and elsewhere were uh, trying to be very organized and unified with the Ohio situation, which was a year after the Michigan situation. Um, and it, it didn't really make a difference. Did, were there other uh, factors uh, that factored into what, uh, how much we lost by? We lost by basically the same percentage in, in Michigan and in Ohio. I don't know if that is anything other than a coincidence. Um, what we have seen, though, in all of the states that have had ballot measures they do a fantastic job of riling up and getting college students to vote. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can do polling beforehand showing, oh, looks like it could be close. 
but the pollsters are not talking to the college students or the college students are not answering the surveys. I'm not sure what the difference is there, but college students come out in huge numbers because they want abortion, I guess. Um, mm. and, and that's where we, we need to figure out how to reach some of those younger people. I see. And, and get, get more into that and convince them and talk to them about why you know, killing unborn children is not healthy for our society, and and it doesn't protect them if they're going through a, a difficult situation. Mm -hmm. Did the, there was also a proposition for marijuana on the ballot the same at the same time? Do you think that helped the other side, uh, the college students? Uh, you know, saying, "Well, we're gonna we want to vote on that also." Uh, do you think that helped or hurt the pro-life side? Oh, I would tend to think that a vote on marijuana brought the college students out mm -hmm. um, as well. So if they were they were motivated that they had two issues that were important to them, they they got to the polls. Mm -hmm. And was the turnout uh, much larger for this particular uh, vote on November seventh, twenty twenty three? Do you know um, compared to a similar? maybe four years ago type of thing? Um, they had a bigger turnout than, you know, like what you might consider off your elections two years ago in mm -hmm. 2021. Um, it was not as big as they had last year when they had a you know governor and a Senate race on the ballot. Mm -hmm. um, so it was larger than an off year election. It wasn't as big as the more traditional election year turnout. Mm -hmm. Now, I know um, Michael knew he wrote an article in National Review Online, and he talked about um, that our side did not emphasize taxpayer funding of abortion. And he put in parentheses, he'd use the words abortion tax increase to try to dissuade people from uh, voting for this particular measure, Proposition 1 or Amendment, what was it? Uh, I think Amendment 1 or Proposition 1. <laughs> Issue one. Issue one, yes, yeah. Do you think Michael was correct in you know, his thoughts on the strategy that was used? Because something is legal, that doesn't mean the government has to fund it. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's necessarily going to follow. Uh, Republicans are still in control of the state legislature. They certainly have a pro-life governor in Mike DeWine. Mm -hmm. I don't see that there's going to be any court that can, you know, it's possible. They can find a judge who says if the process in the state is legal, the state has to fund it, but that doesn't automatically go together. Mm -hmm. And um, now the, the pro-abort side, they've won seven straight ballot propositions. They're on a roll, I guess, I think. Is there anything that's going to stop them from uh, continuing to win? Like in Missouri? Well, hopefully, as we go through, um, you know, we've got some experience under our belt. Uh, the ones last year came so quickly after Dobbs was overturned that uh -huh. some of the states, you know, were a little caught off guard by the amount of money that was being poured into the effort. And, you know, it, it takes a long time to put together a strategy and, and get all the groups working together. Mm -hmm. uh, Ohio was maybe the real test of what can be done. And unfortunately, it, it didn't turn out the way we wanted. Mm -hmm. But we have already in the last several days been going through different things that 
maybe could or should be done differently uh, because we are looking at anywhere from four to 11 or 12 states that could have similar ballot measures next year. Mm -hmm. So we've hopefully got the, the time and we learned a lot from Ohio um, that we can make those, those corrections. Well, what kind of corrections uh, do you think would be benefit, benefiting the pro-life movement? Some of it is messaging. Um, mm -hmm. Towards the end, what they started uh, talking about in Ohio was how this is going to remove any restrictions, any regulations on the, the procedure. Uh, informed consent will likely be thrown out now so that they, the abortionist does not have to tell the woman about possible complications from the abortion procedure or um, alternatives that are available. Uh, quite frankly, I think a judge would easily say that there can be no limits on the abortionists, on the abortion facilities. Um, so what kind of situation is a woman walking into if she does go to get an abortion? Some of that we started, you know, pro-lifers started using that kind of message about abortion isn't always safe and you are taking away safeguards that are currently in place. And that started having a little bit of an impact. People were kind of like, you know, really, you know, what are you talking about? How far does it go? So it's that kind of messaging. Mm -hmm. We know that we have to do a better job reaching out to college students. Uh, and trying to convince them that this isn't the easy solution for women that they may think it is. Uh -huh. um, and, and just, like I said, some of the messaging. Uh, we also know that we have to spend more time on advertising. We, overall, we have to raise a lot more money. And uh -huh. that's where, you know, people with money, um, the larger donors, hopefully are going to step up. Um, they were, you know, there's no question pro-life groups are going to be asking them for money. Um, but we do need, you know, when you've got a, a two to one or in some cases, I think it was even a, a three to one difference in the funding. That makes a huge difference. Oh, and one other thing I want to point out in Ohio, a lot of the effort was focused on getting the pro-life vote out and trying to work with the churches to, you know, get their people out to vote. Uh -huh. That's critical. That has to be done. But there are so few people in this country that go to church anymore. We have to also reach out and find those people that don't have time for church and work mm. on other messages, you know, not just God created human life and, you know, we have to protect that life. We have to be able to reach people who don't care about church and maybe are not all that interested in what God has to say. Mm-hmm. And um, can you tell, uh, what about early raising money? I've, I've heard or read that if uh, you get early money into a uh, campaign, that's so much more beneficial. Uh, and we've had people like uh, on the other side, George Soros and abortion groups, the uh, ACLU, that are pouring money into uh, to these campaigns. Uh, I think there was one contributor in Michigan that contributed $10 million or maybe four or five people contributed $10 million on the other side. Do we have people like that? <laughs> there are. Unfortunately, not as many. Um, you know, Governor Pritzker of Illinois has mm -hmm. created a foundation specifically for the purpose 
of getting involved in these ballot measures and promoting pro-abortion efforts, pro-abortion candidates. Um, that man himself is worth billions. Hmm. So if he is going to, you know, he's got his own uh, group now that's going to start helping to fund. So we know that we are going to be up against unlimited funds. So one, yes, we need to have more money. And two, we just have to be very wise about how those funds are spent. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Brecka mentioned in an article uh, that uh, it's not over yet that uh, taking away parental rights to look over their children, he thinks that um, that can be litigated and won on our side. Have you had any discussions with him or with people on this particular topic? from a litigation standpoint, I guess? No, I think much of it is going to depend on which judge hears the case and how they want to um, decide. Mm -hmm. Uh, And since this is an Ohio constitutional measure, I would think the state Supreme Court is going to be the final authority. Mm -hmm. It would be wonderful if the parental consent law stands, but the language says any individual can get an abortion. It doesn't say any adult or any woman, um, it's any individual. So a 14-year-old girl can ask for an abortion and under the Constitution, it says that no one else would have the right to interfere if that's what she wants. Mm. Wow. Well, let's move on to another state. What happened in Mississippi? Uh, Mississippi had a good night. Uh, The pro-life governor, Tate Reeves, was reelected. The pro-life lieutenant governor, Delbert Hoseman, was reelected. The pro-life attorney general, Lynn Fitch, who is actually the woman who was able to get the Dobbs decision before the Supreme Court, mm. um, she was reelected. Oh, great. Uh, so it was just a, a good night. Well, I mean, good night for pro-lifers. Now, I will say that in, in Mississippi, the Democratic candidate for governor was pro-life. Um, cousin of Elvis Presley. A lot of people have probably heard that already. Um, but he was well-known, well-liked. And for a while, you know, some of the news agencies were reluctant to call the race for Tate Reeves because Presley was still kind of hanging in there for a while. Um, but that state actually did have two candidates running, pro-life candidates running for governor, mm-hmm. a Democrat and a, gov- and a the incumbent wow, Republican. Wow, that's, that's a rarity these days. And then moving on to Virginia, what, what's going on? What went on in Virginia? Again, um, a lot of money and some very good candidates. Um, the pro-abortion Democrats were able to get their people out to vote. Um, and, and we have seen Virginia over the past several years trending more Democrat, more liberal, when Governor Glenn Youngkin was elected in you know two years ago in 2021, that was actually considered an upset. You know he mm-hmm. did defeat um, you know previous governor who was running again, um, which surprised everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. But that was more the outlier. So is Virginia any- is is tough because it is turning blue. I mean, it's the government continues to expand and expand, and government employees. Uh, tend to vote Democrat or liberal. So and, I, and there are a, and, a lot of them. I mean, Virginia, of course, has a lot of people in their sub, the suburbs of Washington, D.C., who work for the federal government. Um, so that has actually made a big difference as the government grows. Uh, Maryland and Virginia have gotten more liberal because, unfortunately, and I'm not sure why, but 
uh, federal employees tend to be um, more liberal and vote blue. Mm -hmm. Were there any other uh, surprises or interesting uh, election results that you saw uh, on November 7th of 2023? Um, that was pretty much uh, the highlights. I mean, most of the states had school board and you know council members, mm -hmm. uh, city council members, um, but those were the, the highlights. Now, in New Jersey, um, also elected their state legislature, and they uh, Democrats picked up a few seats there as well. They had a pro-abortion, very liberal Democratic governor, and the Democrats controlled both houses or both chambers in the state legislature. Uh, so, unfortunately, the the pro-abortion Democrats were able to pick up a few more seats to strengthen their hand. That's in the state legislature, I presume. Yes. I see. Now, Chris Smith, uh, he's a U.S. congressman. Uh, do we have any other U.S. congressmen from New Jersey that are pro-life? Do you know? Congressman Van Drew, who about, oh, I don't know, maybe five years ago, mm -hmm. was a Democrat and switched parties. Oh, And wow. he, he gave the credit for that to Donald Trump, um, saying that he didn't like what his party was doing, thought Trump was doing some good things. So he switched parties. Um, Democrats were not able to take him out, so we actually have two pro-life Republicans from New Jersey. I see. Well, great. And what uh, what is your hopes for National Right to Life Committee uh, going forward here uh, between now and, I guess, election next year? We are going to be focused on the state ballot measures and races. Uh, we need to hold the U.S. Senate I'm sorry, hold the U.S. House of Representatives uh -huh. uh, with a, re a pro-life Republican majority. It would be great if we could pick up a couple of seats in the Senate. Uh, it, there aren't a lot of what I would determine are going to be close races, but we will certainly do what we can. And we have to elect a pro-life president. We have to get Joe Biden or whomever replaces him um, out of the White House uh -huh. because the policies that they are putting into place are dangerous for the country. They're dangerous for unborn children. Um, you know, we've got the Department of Defense willing to hold up the appointments of their generals because they want abortion funding for their their soldiers, their you know the women in the military. Uh -huh. We've got a Department of Health and Human Services doing everything it can to threaten hospitals and states with lawsuits because they are trying to place limits on abortion. We've got a Department of Justice going after pro-lifers who are praying and, you know, making a, a very First Amendment public position outside of abortion facilities. Uh, this administration, many, you know, a long time ago, decided that they were going to use what they call the whole of government approach to protect abortion and access to abortion. Uh, and they are doing it. There are a lot of different agencies that you would think, why are they even involved in abortion? But if there's anything they can do, the Biden administration is pushing it. So number one, we have to get a pro-life a pro-life Republican into the White House. And I will just say this. I know that there are a lot of people who love Donald Trump and they're, they don't want to vote for anybody but him. There are also people who don't like Donald Trump. They don't think he was a good president or they just don't admire him for whatever reason. And they say that they're not going to vote for him no matter what. We have to all come together 
If we don't, and it probably won't be Joe Biden, but it could be Gavin Newsom, Kamala Harris, Michelle Obama, Governor Whitmer of Michigan. If the Democrats get in and have another four years to destroy this country and to destroy any respect for innocent human life, um, it doesn't matter who that candidate is. You may or may not like you know, something about that candidate. We have to come together in November to elect a pro-life president. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope so, too. I, um, I happen to have been uh, traveling in the Canadian Maritimes recently, and on our way back to the Boston area, I uh, stopped in and saw a lady, Dr. Um, Dora Ann Mills in, in Maine, uh, in near Farmington, Maine, and she said her sister was coming over. <laughs> I told her I had a pro-life television show. <laughs> Uh, and she said, well, don't mention that tonight. Uh, and her sister came over, she, and her sister, it turns out, is the governor of Maine. I had dinner with the governor of Maine. <laughs> Not purposely, it just so happened that that uh, happened that evening. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time out to speak with us about all these issues and, and to kind of size up where we're at right now uh, in the pro-life movement. Really appreciate it, Carol. Thank you. Happy to do it. Thank you for asking me. And uh, folks, we hope you found today's show to be unique, informative, content-rich, truthful, and thought-provoking. Thanks for watching. I'm Brendan O'Connell, your friend for life. The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119. Attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.